Father, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you that you are a father. Um, I thank you that in the scriptures it says that you are a father to the orphan and that you um, draw us into a community, that when you save us, you don't save us by ourselves, but that you save us into, um, not just from judgment, but you save us into a family. And so today, I pray, God, that you would show us how to love one another increasingly like the family you long for us to be. I pray, God, that you would allow us um, to all be honest about our sin, our insecurities. Uh, I pray that um, we wouldn't believe the lies that certain cultures are good at conflict or aren't good at conflict, or certain genders are good at conflict or aren't good at conflict or are good at talking about their hearts, God, but that all of us are called to follow Jesus' teaching, that no person or place or culture or gender or personality type is exempt from the teaching of Jesus if he, if we are his disciple. And so, God, would you encourage us, strengthen us? Would you set people free today? Would um, relationships grow healthier as a result of today? Would you speak through me and in spite of me? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I, uh, I, yeah, I want to talk today about conflict and confrontation. How many of you guys like to be confronted about um, something wrong with you? How many of you guys don't have blind spots? Right, yeah, right. We, we all have this general sense that there are probably things wrong with us. Uh, there are probably things that we do. Um, in the biblical narratives, there's this idea of sin and dysfunction entering the world. And the funny thing is, is it's not like it's through people. And that uh, maybe you're like, hey, I didn't vote for Adam and Eve to represent me, but you don't need them to because we've kept it up. Like we keep up our end of the, of the sin bargain on this earth. And here's the thing is that as we do relationships, um, we are going to hurt each other. What I know about you, if you're a human being sitting in this room, is that you are a hurt person. People have hurt you. Now, that doesn't mean you have to carry a victim identity, but it does mean you have been hurt if you have lived on this earth with other human beings. You may be able to admit that. You might not be able to admit that. Uh, but that's true of you. I also know that you have hurt people, that you have not just been sinned against, but that you have sinned against others. And, and, and we know that, right? As we look through the stories of our lives, the stories of our families, the best families have conflict. The worst families have conflict. The best churches have conflict. The worst churches have conflict. The issue isn't, are we going to have conflict? It's how are we going to do it? And uh, honestly, uh, if you guys have, I have a special note sheet for you guys. If you guys want to wave it in the air like you just don't care. Um, uh, today we're going to cover a lot of content. I had a really funny intro that you would have been just laughing. You would have been in stitches. You would have said this guy is a riveting speaker. And it would have looked, made me look pretty amazing. Um, but honestly, we don't have time for it. So we're just going to dive right in on this idea of conflict and confrontation. But here's what I want to say is um, conflict's not, even though it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, conflict is not easy for anyone. Okay, I don't care who you are. Um, uh, conflict confrontation is hard for us for all different types of reasons. I think in America, kind of the narrative of America is pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make something of yourself, live the American dream, uh, be strong, be tough, um, and 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 subplot step on as many people as possible to get to the top. We don't talk about that part. Uh, you know, kind of Drake is the American dream. Started from the bottom, now you're here, wherever here is. And you, you stepped on whoever you needed to, to, to get there. But, but hey, you're not going to let anyone hurt you. You're going to be tough, kind of cowboy vibe. Um, I also know it's hard for English culture. I know Durban has a lot of British people. Um, and um, I was actually with some friends who are British uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, we're sitting down for a meal. We're in Dubai. And we're sitting there. And there was a guy from another culture there. And he was just talking about some stuff. And um, and the night, we had gotten in from a flight 16 hours from LAX. Um, and, uh, and then this couple, the British and... And, uh, and they were like, they were hosting me. And they're like, hey, do you guys want to get out of here? And I said, yeah. And the guy started telling a really long story, this other guy from another culture. And it, you could just tell, man, I was like, I don't know how we're going to get out of here. And I thought like, hey, they're the hosts. They know these people. They'll probably interject. And she just said, um, we're just, as British people, we're just way too polite to shut this down. We can't interrupt him. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just said, hey, guys, we're going we're gonna to have to go. Uh, I just got, got my American on and, and got us out of there. Um, uh, maybe you're from a more traditional culture, Eastern culture, uh, where it's, it's just not allowed at all to disagree with, um, those who are older than you, um, even if they are wrong. 
Uh, and so I'm not talking about, it's good to honor those who are older than us, but there are times when someone's in sin or they're wrong, they're even hurting someone and you're just not allowed to speak up. Um, uh, maybe for you, you go, man, I just don't have the personality for conflict, right? Conflict's for extroverts, right? They like talking, right? It's for lawyers, right? They, they get into it. Um, and, uh, and that, that's actually, you'll see today, Jesus, um, relax, Yasmin, I'm not talking about you. Uh, um, aren't you, isn't Kim also a lawyer? You guys' arguments must be amazing. Um, <laughs> exhibit A. <laughs> um, sorry. But for all of us, conflict is hard. Now, here's the thing that it's, it's so important. You might go, oh, man, I don't want to deal with this. Or some people have actually said to me, I don't have conflict. Maybe some of you guys might be thinking, I don't have conflict. I'm nice. Um, the reality is, is when we're sinned against and when we sin against others, the, the, the potential for conflicts there, whether or not we're going to deal with it in a healthy way is, is another thing. So you might be like, I don't have any conflict in your life. We'll get into that in a second. But, but you need to know how to do conflicts. Um, there's a ministry called Peacemakers, and um, they go into churches and help deal, they help equip and train people in conflict. And the guy that leads it, a guy named Ken Sandy, says often he'll sit with leadership teams and he'll say, they'll say, hey, honestly, Ken, we don't know if we really need your, your ministry because we don't have conflict in our church. And then he'll often say, you don't have conflict? Like, yeah, he's like, but do you guys have gossip? And they're always like, oh, yeah, we have loads of gossip. We've got a lot of that. Um, just people don't, uh, you know, get into it. So that stuff is there. Um, conflict's so important um, for, for, for a couple reasons. One is um, we are a family. That's what the Bible says. We are the household of God. Um, in John chapter 1, it says that for those who believed in him, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God, they become, to become children of God. Here's the thing that I know as a father, and Jesus would, um, in his teaching on the Holy Spirit, he says, um, if you who are wicked fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts? What I know is what Jesus, you know, as a, in Jesus' words, as a wicked father, a sinful father, um, when my kids get into a conflict, I don't, I don't, I'm not stoked about who wins. I don't pick a team. I don't have like hashtag team Clive, hashtag team Calvin. Um, I don't start, you know, mocking one of them. I'm not like, I, I, I honestly go, what I want is for them to be reconciled. That's my big win. When they hurt each other, it breaks my heart. Um, my, I've mentioned this before. My meme and Pepe had 11 kids. And uh, my, my grandparents and my dad's the Irish Catholic family, 11 kids. They went for it. Um, and um, about four of those siblings don't talk to each other have it in 20 plus years. And I don't think when my mama and Pepe started their family, they thought, oh, you two are, are going to be estranged for 15 years. Matter of fact, I think if they were still alive, they would be heartbroken over that. What you need to know is that the heav- our Heavenly Father, when he sees church splits, he doesn't go, oh, this is so cool. Like, you're getting what you want. <sighs> Dude, Yasmin, you're getting worship the way you want, you know? Pumi, you're getting the teaching. You, you guys are going to split this church. It's awesome. He's like, guys, no, 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 no. The way the world's going to see my church is by the way that you love one another. That's how men and women are going to know you're my disciples. And the way that we do conflict is one of the key ways we can love differently than the world loves. And so, um, man, it, it brings the Father so much joy when we're united. Um, also, again, um, the way, I know we want to see this, this city, Durban, reached with the gospel. And we want to see the city renewed. That's embedded into this, the life of this church, the vision and values of this church. And Jesus says, again, the way that you love one another, when, when men and women love each other who are different and who sin against each other, keep loving each other and don't bail on each other. The world goes, this is a different thing. What brought you together? This is a different kind of a family. And so here's the thing I just want to tell you, man. People in this church are going to offend you. They're going to let you down. They're going to say, ins- you're shocking, they're going to say insensitive things. They might not even realize they said an insensitive thing. They're going to forget important things. They're going to be late to meetings. They may even flake on a meeting. They may completely forget. They may act selfishly toward you. And in those moments, how, how are you going to respond to them? So many people jump from church to church, friendship to friendship, even marriage to marriage. Your conflict shows up. They go, I'm out of here. This is broken because there's conflict. And it's, no, no, no. Conflict just means there's two human beings, or two or more. There, doing life together. Again, how we deal with it is, is everything. So if you guys have Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Again, the way we respond to one another will tell the world around us something about the gospel. So I want to read um, a passage to you, to you all. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. 
and I'll go ahead and, um, and read this. So starting in verse 15, Jesus himself says this. If your brother sins against you, maybe brother or sister, go and tell them his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So for, I think for a lot of us, um, this feels like a, um, I feel weird setting the Bible on the ground, but I don't have another space, I'm sorry, but I, I love the Bible, I'll pick it up in a second. Um, I think a lot of us were like, we've never actually seen this done. We've never been in a church where this is done. I think because as human beings, everything Jesus lays out is so contrary to what we naturally want to do when someone offends us. Uh, a friend of mine, he, he wrote the, he calls this the modern day church translation of conflict. Um, and it's this, okay? So this is some solid Greek work. If your brother or sister sins against you, you should be really surprised because sin is so rare. Immediately go and text your friends their faults and unfriend them on all social media outlets. But not before you post a photo on Instagram with a caption about how you can't believe how ridiculous people are these days. <laughs> Depending on your personality, here's how you should deal with these things. If you are more shy and passive-aggressive, leave the church as soon as you can, change your number, and then try to live in a continual state of resentment and bitterness for the rest of your life, telling anyone who will listen about how terrible the church is. Reminding, your, um, reminding yourself of this helpful phrase, I am always right, others are always wrong. But if you are more of the aggressive and self-confident type, be sure to confront them, preferably with others watching. Be sure to raise your voice and use demeaning words to make them feel awful about themselves. If they feel guilty and condemned, you have won the argument and should immediately go and tell your friends about how stupid that person is. Be sure to fill them in on... Uh, <laughs> this is verse uh, 18, sorry. Uh, be sure to fill them in about your victory and give them evidence with a few of the most condemning and judgmental comments you made. Exaggeration is always okay in these scenarios. Verse 19. But if the person does not apologize, be sure to get very angry and then go tell as many people as possible about how disgusting that person is. If they refuse to apologize after being slandered and gossiped about, be sure to ignore them whenever you see them. One of you will have to leave the church you are part of. So this is a good time to be checking out podcasts of other local pastors. And now I'd like to say a random and confusing statement about prayer. Remember that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. But if there's only one, sorry, I'm very busy and I'm not good at one-on-one -on -one conversations. <laughs> right? Like everything that's there is, is, mo is mostly, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't say it out loud, but in our hearts there's a desire to do some of the different things that were sprinkled in there. And again, um, when the disciples first see this teaching, it's, you have to understand, even for them, this would have been a shocking thing. Disciples were raised in ancient Israel, which was an honor-shame culture. It would have been very common if someone affronted you uh, to call them out and then to kind of to, 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 to push them away. And rabbinical teaching would say, hey, you know, you'd forgive a few times, but not too many times. We'll see here in a second. So I want you to see this was always countercultural. Um, verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Peter's like, dude, I, I, right, like, people sin against me, I go tell them, uh, how long is this going to last for? Um, there's got to be a limit to this, there's got to be a cap to this. As human beings, we always want to put a cap on grace. Uh, and so um, rabbinical teaching at the time um, would have been three times, kind of three strikes and you're out situation. So most of the guys, first, first temple Judaism would say, hey, um, you know, you, you forgive three times. So Peter is doubling it and putting one on top. So he must be thinking extra credit. I'm killing it. Jesus is going to be so impressed with my patience and grace. Matter of fact, he'll probably walk me back. Hey, dude, you don't have to do six. You don't have to do seven. You know, four. Um, I've got some new teaching. Um, but, um, and then Jesus says, no, seven times 77. You're trying to like, Counted out how many is that? It's like 490, 512. Uh, you're trying to figure out where you're at in your marriage. Um, Jesus' point isn't the number, it's infinite, is the point. He is saying um, the number of perfection times infinity, essentially. It's, it's don't stop forgiving. 
Um, and and, and to, to lay this idea out, he keeps teaching in verse 23. It says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debts. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this guy who had been embezzling from the king owes essentially billions of dollars if you do an ancient conversion rate to now. Um, like an amount that's literally unpayable even by a king. Um, and then he goes to a guy who, who has like two months wages, two to three months wages. It's a significant amount of money, um, but it's, not, it's nowhere near what he was forgiven. That same guy goes out after being forgiven an uncountable debt. He goes out, and, um, and, and then as he is demanding payment, his fellow servant says something familiar. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar? So this guy who, who had said, have patience with me, and the king forgives him, he goes and chokes this guy out, and then this guy says, have patience with me. And unlike the king, it says, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servants, I forgave you all that debt because you had pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't we have mercy on one another? If we've been forgiven this huge debt by our king. Shouldn't we extend that same forgiveness to others? And in anger, verse 24, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who does not forgive from your hearts. And it's important that we realize that this isn't a random story. Um, This parable is connected to what Jesus just talked about. Um, He's saying, man, relationships are really messy and we are a kingdom of grace. And the only way relationships can work in this kingdom is through grace. We move toward one another in love. Uh, we, we speak directly, but graciously. Um, and we forgive. And we're just going to need to do that a whole lot if we're going to make it. And again, as we do that, the watching world goes, what is grace? WTG, what the grace? What is this? We, we don't see graces. Right now, um, at least in America, everything is so polarized. If anyone makes a mistake, it's on social media and they're being villainized, whether they're liberal, conservative, black, white, it doesn't matter. If, if you, it's, just, it's just outrage culture. It's tear them down. It's destroy them. It's get them fired. It's whatever it is. There's a lot of talk about a lot of things, but there's not a lot of talk about grace. Also, you notice that, that the things that are demonized are always the things that the person who's talking, who's demonizing doesn't struggle with themselves. So we pick the people we'll pick on. No one in this room could stand before a holy God with everything he requires of us and, and, and make it out innocent in and of ourselves. So to feel better about ourselves, we pick the things we think God really cares about. Whole movements of churches are started. We do baptism right. We don't love people, but we do baptism right. We're really generous. We're really generous. Whatever it is, you, you pick a, a thing. And so for us to, 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 to live as Jesus calls us, we have to receive grace to be able to give grace. And so I want to answer three questions. Um, two of these will be quick. One of these will be, will be a little bit longer. Number one is, why is there conflict in the church? You might be wondering, man, I thought church was a safe place. Why is he talking about people offending me? Um, again, the reason is, is asking why there's conflict in the church is like asking why are there sick people in the hospital. I've always wondered, what does a successful church look like? Is it a church where people don't have problems? Seriously, it's like, what are we done? Have you ever thought about that? I know your job, like you have deadlines. You're like, you know, we, we, you're, you know, this case is done or this account's done or my job's done at the end of the day. Whatever it is, you, you have a sense of knowing, man, pastors have a weird job. It's like, when is it done? When do people look enough like Jesus? And then more people come in. Again, the reality is, is that, that, that we're all in process. We're all slowly being sanctified. And so there are people who are getting better, and then there are people coming in who aren't very well. And then the people who got better in one area 
fall ill with a different kind of sin issue. We got to deal with that. And so it's an ongoing space of learning to love and live like Jesus. And there are different things that keep us from from getting there. And so um, why is there a conflict in the church? Um, In the first four words of the section, it says, um, if a brother sins against you. Uh, First one is brother or sister. The reason that that there's conflict in the church is that church is a family. Um, Conflict in the church, and again, that's one of the values of Harbor City. Conflict in the church is really confusing. If you think church is an event you come to once a week, Jesus' teaching doesn't make much sense. Like, man, how much of a drama queen do you have to be to have people offending you when you just sit in a seat for an hour and sing some songs. Like how bad does someone's voice have to be for you to be offended by it while they sing? Because again, of course, church isn't just a service you go to, right? We have a worship gathering where the family gathers, but the church is a family of brothers and sisters. And if we're living life together, you're going to bump up against each other. How many of you guys have uh, siblings? How many of you guys never had conflicts with those siblings? Cool, right? <laughs> Because to be brother and sister is to have conflicts. Um, my kids fight all the time. They love each other. They fight all the time. My kids struggle with different things. My son Clive's kind of a control freak. Uh, I think he's an Enneagram 3. Uh, he likes to, like, be impressive and get stuff done. And that will kind of transfer sometimes, and he wants to make the other kids do stuff. Uh, and then he can get credit for all of it. And he'll be like, Calvin, put your shirt on. And, uh, and Calvin's a big, like, no one tells me what to do. Like, no one's going to be the boss of me kind of guy. Um, you have to really lovingly help him obey you. Um, and, uh, and so the last thing, he's not going to take orders from his brother and, and, you know, and they'll get, you know, put your shirt, I don't want to put my shirt on, you know. Um, Calvin also, he loves, he loves a good hang, loves a good meal. Uh, he's very similar to me, very passionate guy, um, and loves food. And so if you take his food, man, he loses his mind, right? He'll, he'll just be swinging. He'll be, he'll get angry. Give me my cookie. He's a big comfort guy. Right, so, so just day in and day out, there's just little things that shouldn't be conflicts become conflicts because they're family. They spend time together. Um, the more you do life with siblings, the more conflict there will be. And again, conflict with siblings is an inevitability. It's how we do it. The other thing I want to say is you may be here thinking, I, we did conflict so poorly with my siblings. Matter of fact, I might not even talk to them anymore. They may have abused me or hurt me. Um, again, just because we're siblings doesn't mean we have to do conflicts the way that we we, we did in our um, family of origin. Again, none of us had a perfect family of origin. Jesus teaches us how to live in the new family. Um, and, and so I want to be really clear on that. And so um, if we're family, we're going we're to hurt one another again. Having conflict with someone doesn't mean the relationship's irreparably broken. It means you're close to them and you're both human. Um, the other reason there's conflicts in the church, second reason is sin. Uh, he says, if they sin against you. Um, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, the Apostle James, uh, Grant read from it earlier, um, he lays out um, why we have conflicts. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, why do we have conflicts? What, why is it because, you know, why do you have conflict in your life? Why do you have so many difficult people in your life who don't listen to you? You ever thought about that? James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2 says this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so here's what you need to know is that conflict does not create sin. It reveals the sin that's already there. It's our sinful desires. It's I want something and you're getting in my way. At the end of the day, that's every conflict. I want something and you're getting in the way. It could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, but I want, it, I want something more than I want to love you. And if you get in my way of the thing I really want, my idol or my, my desire, I will crush you. Whether it's uh, I'll crush you or I'll walk around you from a very far away distance and ghost you. But I'm going to get to where, I, I'm going to get what I really want. Um, married couples will often say to me, um, or I've heard over the years, um, I didn't used to be this way. You made me this way. They'll be in fights with their spouse. You ever heard that? I used to be so fun. I, I wasn't so angry before. I wasn't such a control freak before. If you weren't late all the time, I wouldn't be so angry. I'll come up with a bunch of different things. And again, here's the thing you need to know is you were always that selfish. It just didn't impact someone so much where you felt it. We shared um, two years ago, we did a night on sexuality and on the gospel and sexuality. And I talked about um, early on in my marriage about talking to my wife for the first time about pornography and that being a struggle of mine at that point in my life. And, um, through high school, like I'd grown up with the internet, I'd grown up, like that wasn't, my friends taught, it was just kind of chill. And to sit with someone who was actually impacted 
and grieved by it. See, my wife sob. She actually felt like I had cheated on her. Was a different thing than just, oh, I'm just kind of looking at this, feel a little weird after, feel a little dirty. I don't feel like I'm at my best when it's going on, um, when it's, when it's over, but I, it wasn't, I didn't realize it was sin that hurt someone. And, and when that happened, I, um, about six years ago, I want to say about five, six years ago, um, and this is the thing about sin is it's, it's, it's deceitful. You don't realize it's happening. Um, and just as people, we have blind spots. But for me, um, in church planning, the average church planner gains like 30 pounds their first year and a half of planning a church, uh, some insane stat. And, um, um, or, I don't know, 15 kgs, I guess, 13 kgs. Um, but it's significant. You're stressed. You're stress eating. Uh, there's probably worse things you could be doing. Um, but, uh, but it's kind of the thing. And, and, uh, and so one night my wife was just like, hey, like, I feel really unloved by you. I'd gained about 30 kgs over like a six year period from when we had gotten married. And, uh, and again, I'm not a skinny dude now, but I was, things were out of hand. Uh, and, uh, and I just kind of gotten, you know, chilling in San Diego. We've got great beer. We've got great burritos, uh, which is a better version of a, of a, Chip and cheese roti, from what I understand, California burrito, got french fries, avocado, a little cheese, a little sour cream, some red sauce, some lime, flour tortilla, a little steak. It's tremendous. I'm getting too excited talking about it. But I remember, um, uh, that's right, and, and, and I just felt, my wife just said, hey, I honestly, like, I don't need you to be a supermodel, but like, I honestly feel, I'm worried about you, you're not taking care of yourself, but also I feel unloved that you haven't. And I honestly didn't even know it happened. Like, I looked, I was like, man, I, Wow, okay, I've, I've put on weight. This is a thing. The next day I got on a diet, um, immediately started losing weight. I ended up losing about 50 pounds. But starting that thing, I remember the very next day, I was like, I gotta start running again. I used to run all the time. So I, I go out and hit the streets and I just start running. I, I um, throw on some old running shoes, start going. And about a half mile into the run, I am winded. I'm not winded, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <coughs> you know, I'm walking. And, um, now, it would be so foolish if I said, you know what? I used to be in great shape, right? I was in great, and then I started running, and it made me out of shape. Like, I was in great shape, uh, and then running right now is what, no, no, no. I'd been out of shape the whole time. But when I'm eating a California burrito, drinking an IPA, watching TV, I'm not aware of it. Running didn't make me out of shape. It exposed that I had been out of shape the entire time. That's what relationships do with our sin. They're a mirror. They show us who we've always been. And often we don't like it. So instead of dealing with the person that hurts others and doesn't love people as they ought to be loved, and, and instead of being an apprentice to Jesus and learning to love like him, we blame them and we run away. It's so easy to do. But it will never lead to, to transformation. Instead of go, actually, okay, this proves where I'm at. Now I need to work at this. It's an opportunity for God to sanctify us. It's also an opportunity for us to go deeper and closer to someone else. And so um, a lot of us will make excuses, right? Like, I had a bad week. Cool, the bad week exposed the sin in your heart. You know, we use that to kind of justify ourselves. There are bad weeks, but we never have the right to hurt people because we're having a bad week. We still need to apologize and own it. Um, there's a, a biblical counselor in America named Paul Tripp, and he, um, he says, when he deals with couples, he says, when people will say, um, I didn't mean to say that. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, he's saying what they're saying is, sorry, I didn't mean for you to hear me say that. Uh, that came out loud. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we say things, it's be, there's, a, there's a real source inside of us. It's not random or an accident. Our external circumstances don't make us sin. They reveal the sin that's already inside of us. Now, because of the fall, we all have a sinful response to conflict. Again, we're being sanctified. We are now saints, not sinners. But, but, but we're learning to not live as the sinners we used to be. We have sin inside of us still. And so um, ever since the fall, we have started to approach um, conflict the wrong way. Uh, and, and so we are either what, what psychologists call an attacker or a withdrawer. An attacker or a withdrawer. And some of you guys might have heard of these phrases, or maybe some of you guys haven't, but before um, we move on, I kind of wanted to ask you if you resonate with these, and so I want to do a little diagnostic real quick, and we've got some doctors in the building, uh, and uh, do a quick diagnostic test to see how do you approach conflict, because it's not all the same. Um, okay, so, so here's what I want to say is I think a lot of us, um, we fit in one of two categories. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to think for a second about a recent conflict you had, and I want you to think, um, now, for a second, set aside the circumstances of the argument, what the issue was, how it made you feel, who was right or who was wrong. I just want to ask you, um, which, how did you kind of respond um, naturally, okay? Um, your, baby, your behavior probably falls into one of two categories, attacking or withdrawing. Now, some people are attackers, okay? They like to be on the offensive. They place a high value on justice. It matters greatly to them who is right and who is wrong. 
On the other end of the spectrum are withdrawers. People with this tendency uh, tend to find themselves on the defensive. They tend to avoid or ignore conflict. And when pressed into an argument, they respond in silence or apathy. And so to help us discern this, I'm going to read a few statements that an attacker would say. And then I'm going to read some statements a withdrawer would say. And I, want to just, I just want to ask you... Um, which one of these do you resonate with, okay? Now, if, if, it res- if, if you think they resonate with someone close to you, please don't point at them or elbow them. Just this is for you, okay? And if you're not sure, feel free to ask a close friend or a spouse or a sibling or, or a pastor or something like that, okay? So do you resonate with the following? This first set of statements. Um, you, do you deal with anger or frustration by venting it? Um, do you argue your case passionately? Uh, if you're this type of person, you often ask questions like, how do you know and can you prove that? So it's helpful. You want to fight until the fight is over? Again, I'm sorry, Yasmin and Cam. You cross-examine like a lawyer in order to get to the heart of the conflict. Winning the argument is more important than loving the opponent. And you turn the argument to focus on the other person, even if it began with you as the focal point. Uh, if you do that often, you're probably an attacker if you resonate with those statements. Or do you resonate more with the following statements? You deal with anger or frustration by suppressing it. You have opinions, but keep them to yourself in order to keep the peace. You ask questions like, do we have to talk about this now? Does it really matter? You'd rather avoid a fight than win one. And you sometimes physically leave an argument in order to get some space. If you did, then you're, you're probably a withdrawer. Now, these are the typical ways we respond to disagreement, frustration, offense, hurts. Um, the fact that these responses are considered normal or natural is a clue that they may not be rooted in the gospel, that they're not supernatural. Um, and so, again, which one are you? Again, an attacker, um, if they're um, uh, confronted, they would respond kind of like, oh, really, you want to you confront me on my sin? Right? It's actually really amazing that you're confronting me because I've been pr- gossiping about you. I mean, praying for you about the, 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 the pride in your life. Uh, a withdrawer, um, if they're confronted, again, they just kind of shut down emotionally. They start looking for Kalula flights, right? Cheapest flight out of town. Come on, that Kalula one. Come on, you guys. That was amazing. <laughs> Hashtag textualation. Um, if we all respond as attackers or with jars, how do we get out of this? And I think this is where Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 we just looked at is so helpful. That's where we're going to spend the, the, the bulk of our time right now. And it's this. What does healthy conflict look like? If it's not attacking, it's not. Some of us in our families, this is what we did, right? We attacked. We were allowed. A friend of mine said, I grew up in a family of lions. You saw the Lion King. They get into it, right, when they wrestle. Um, she said, dude, we would just argue, and everyone would argue until someone cried, and then we just kind of moved on, and no one ever apologized, never picked it up later. The wounds were there. They were never treated. We just kind of claw each other and hope the fur would grow over. Let's <laughs> follow the analogy, guys. Relax. Well, some of you guys, you, you know, no, 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 you sweep it under the rug, right? You sweep it under the rug, kind of with your family. whole family's a bunch of withdrawers. Everyone's too polite. Um, you hate people in your heart, but say nice stuff to their face. And, um, right, and so you kind of, um, you know, Sweep it under the rug. And then over time, though, the rug gets so big, you're tripping over the rug, right? Like, sweep it under the rug, it's fine, right? And there's this stuff that bubbles out at times, and it comes out a little sideways. So if it's not attack, if it's not withdrawal, what does healthy conflict look like in the family of God? And so healthy conflict, by the way, before we look at what it is, I do need to say Matthew 18 is written to people who would say that they are followers of Jesus, okay? It's dealing with sin within the family of God. I mean, you cannot hold people to a standard they have not agreed to. I do think, by the way, it's always helpful to go to people gently and directly and lovingly, uh, but some of the stuff is going to be just for followers of Jesus, which we'll, we'll get into. So healthy conflict requires two people, okay? Um, it requires a humble person who's willing to confront and a humble person who's willing to be confronted. Um, and so to, to do that, I want to look at this. Uh, there's a, a really practical thing I want to equip you guys with today. So if you guys want to grab those sheets, again, wave them in the air like you just don't care. It says Re- Resolving Everyday Conflict by Ken Sandy. Uh, that's a book, a little book I'd encourage you to buy and read if you if you are able to. I'm sure if you guys want copies, we can, we can figure that out for you. But um, really, really practical. And they and again, I want to give you guys something today because conflict's so ubiquitous. You'd have a handle you could go back to. Okay, have I thought through this biblically before? Because we all have our natural right thing we want to jump into. I'm going to attack. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to do a little bit of both. Um, but to go, okay, wait, no, no, no. What does it look like Jesus' way? And not that you're going to take the sheet out, but you can like look at it. 
before you go and, and see them. So, so there's four steps. Okay, so let's say, by God's grace, Matthew 18, you're ready to have the courage to lovingly confront someone like Jesus said, or someone con- comes to confront you. Man, h- how do we go about this? What does this look like practically? And so these guys have put this thing together. I think it's really, really helpful, and I want to work through these quickly. The first one is you want to start with, so there's four, four steps. Glorify God, get real, gently engage, get together. I know alliteration is a little corny, but it is helpful for memorization, okay? Glorify God, get real, gently engage, get together. So G1, glorify God. The key question is, how could you please and honor God in this situation? One of the hardest things to do in the midst of conflict is to focus on God. Because we tend to focus on ourselves, how we feel, how we've been wronged. Um, But focusing on those things leads us to feel justified in our anger, and we can easily become bitter or apathetic. We can punish people by withdrawing our love and affection. We end up hurting them and ourselves because we push them away. We isolate ourselves. And and again, not asking this question has led me to stay stuck in a conflict for weeks if I don't actually slow down. I find that often when I pray, uh, and again, a couple of things. One thing you want to do is, is ask God, hey, what's, what's my role in this thing? Um, and, and ask God, hey, how do you view this person? One of the things that's really helped me over time is when I go before God in prayer and I go, hey, how do you feel about this person? And how do you want me to treat them? He often isn't concerned about my nursing my bitterness. He often goes, come on, man. Again, uh, one author says, or one, I forget who said it, but someone said is, is who we are before God is who we really are. And so there's no pretense. You know God, if you believe in the God of the Bible, he sees through your heart. He knows the depths of what's going on. You can't front. You can't fake it. Your masks don't work. Your tough guy act doesn't work. It's like, come on, man. My son Calvin, um, he, um, we recently, uh, I showed this at the camp, but we recently moved houses. And um, uh, one of the things uh, that you need to know about sadness is, or about anger is that anger is often a secondary emotion. So you're actually sad, but it's easier to be angry than it is to be sad. We all get sad. I don't care how tough you are. You get sad. But it's easier to be, to fe- it's easier to be angry than sad because when you're angry, you feel like you're in control. Sadness kind of feels like it happens to you. And anger feels like, I'm doing this. I'm lashing out. And um, we were talking about, we're sitting with our, our kids, and we're talking about moving into the new house. And we lived in the same house for eight years. So we had this moment where my wife said, hey, guys, we're going to take a second and we're going to talk about um, one thing we're going to miss about this house and one great memory we had at this house. And then we're going to pray. And, uh, and Calvin said, um, he said, you know, the new, the new house is like three times the size. It's a way better situation. It's a really cool thing that happened for our family. Um, but Calvin said, oh, the new house is stupid. I hate it. It's like, you hate it? Dude, you're going to have a yard for the first time in your life. Like, this is pretty amazing. You should be pumped, you know? And, uh, and there was this point where, where Jackie was just like, hey, buddy, it's okay to be sad. She had to say that. And he's five. And he just goes, ah, like the no, no noise cry. You know, that's a deep cry. Ah. It was all in there. It was like, and again, as we get older, we're more adept at disguising stuff. But in that moment, we could see through the tough guy act. It was like, dude, you're sad. It's okay to be sad. This is a loss. Um, in the same way with us as, as, as adults, uh, I think a lot of times older guys kind of feel this, oh, I can't, it's okay um, to be sad. And when we're before our father, we're not a big tough guy, we're a child. And I think there's a safety where he goes, come on, man, this is what this is really about. You're afraid, you're offended. Um, and so, so, so the Spirit reminds us about what, um, and we go, God, you know, how can I glorify you in this station? How, how can I love this other person? We can also ask the father in the first place, is this worth fighting over? Did you know you don't have to be right all the time? Did you know that sometimes people just have different preferences than you? You can have like a less, a subpar dinner and move on with your life and not have to carry it. There are times where, you know, um, um, again, overlooking small offenses. Um, if there's a pattern in someone's life or they keep doing something, you need to talk about it. But if there's like a one-off thing, you might go, hey, you know what? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to cover, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Maybe they are having a, a genuinely bad week, and I'm going to give them grace. Um, but sometimes overlooking isn't realistic, and it's not wise. And so you go, Father, how can I glorify you? He goes, hey, you need to love this person, but you do need to deal with this person because there is sin here. So number two, um, but before we can deal with them, we have to deal with ourselves. Number two is get real. That's where you own your own part. Again, we often skip this. I want you to see, we often jump to G3. 
Uh, we don't go, God, how can I glorify you in this situation? That's my, by the way, that's the, that's the aim for a Christian. It's not winning an argument. It's not proving a point. If that's actually what you're up to, don't even have the convo. Pray until you're ready to glorify God, glorify Jesus. Does that make sense? So, so we start there. Then we go, then, then a lot of times, get real. We, go, we don't assume we have a part. We just assume we're the victim. And so we always jump to G3 and just kind of verbally punch them in the face or actually punch them in the face. But, but, but G2 is get real, own your own part. That's where you go, how, how can I own my part of this conflict? Um, a big thing here is, again, asking God to help you. Study what the scripture has to say on a topic. Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, Jesus says this. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We rarely are in a conflict that's completely one-sided. Every once in a while, there's some really wild, abusive, dysfunctional situations. But most of your day-to-day interactions and conflicts, they're going to be two-sided. Um, and so we, we need, again, it's impossible to see our sin without the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask him for help. We also need to press into community. Um, you can ask someone who's mature that you trust to help you. Again, you don't have to use names or details. That would reveal who you're having conflict with, right? Uh, it's a, you know... I'm having a conflict with this blonde girl. Her name rhymes with Mistel. You know, I don't know who it is. Uh, you know, don't do that. But you can you can um, not use names or details that would reveal who you're having conflict with, but generally share, hey, here's what's happening, and asking someone to help you own your part. Okay, that's not gossip if you're trying to get help and you're, you're protecting the person. Um, again, if you're blind, you need help. Um, then, once you're aware of what it is, then you need to apologize Okay, so, so again, how would your conflicts be different if you started by apologizing at the beginning of the meeting? Most of the times, the offended party is waiting for an apology. That's where you have the holdup. That's where, where the traffic jam happens, relationally. So you want to take responsibility and make a good confession, okay? Now, there's, I think they're on here. There's the seven A's of a good confession. I'll read these really quickly. Um, the first one is address everyone impacted by your sin, okay? So, for example, if you've gossiped about someone to others— Apologize to the person you've gossiped about, um, but also to the people that you've gossiped to. We've had that several times in our church, and it led to a lot of unity. Hey, I shouldn't have talked bad about this person. Here's what was going on. I was insecure. And they forgave them and the person, and then there's unity. Um, here's the big, big one I want you guys to know. Avoid qualifying. Don't use if, but, or maybe. If you use if, but, or maybe, it is not a real confession. or a Confession is, I was wrong. Period. Okay, um, it is hard to give an unqualified apology. It really is, um, but 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 un- avoid. Qual- you're, you're saying, hey, this is what you did and why you did it. Um, if if you um, qualify, you go, hey, well, I, man, if you weren't so ridiculous, I wouldn't be so mean. You're not going to get anywhere. But I was having a tough day. No, again, no, I'm not dealing with the fact that I hurt you, right? I'm I'm, I'm minimizing it. I'm justifying it. Um, that cheapens, if not kills, the apology. That's kind of like, I'm sorry, but it's really all your fault. This is where I always see breakthrough in my marriage when I confess is when I say, I'm sorry. Again, looking back at James 4, I'm sorry. I wanted X more than I wanted to love you. I wanted a a cool day watching the game more than I wanted to love you. I wanted to relax more than I wanted to love you. I wanted to look cool in front of these people more than I wanted to, to love you. Does that make sense? And then that actually feels like a real confession, whatever it is for you. Um, admit specifically, okay? Get specific about your contribution. And go, oh, I might have been a little mean in there. Hey, I shouldn't have said that specific thing. Here's why I said it. It was wrong. I'm sorry. Um, acknowledge the hurt. Um, ask how they felt and seek to understand. Uh, example, I imagine this was hurtful. Can you please help me understand how you felt? Um, um, to acknowledge the hurt means you're letting go of using the phrase, you're too sensitive. Someone might be too sensitive. That's not your job to figure out. Okay. They, over time, God will mature them and make them more secure. If you hurt them, it's an offense, whether it feels like it is or not. It could be an unintentional offense, but if you're godly, again, you don't need to defend yourself. You can go, man, I'm so sorry. I made you feel that way. Honestly, it, it wasn't my intention if it wasn't, or if it was, hey, I was trying to be funny. I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings, but I did, and I'm sorry. Like, I didn't consider how this would make you feel. 
And then the last one is, ex- uh, all right, there's a couple more. Accept consequences. This is big. You have to own the consequences for your actions. Um, for exa- so, so forgiveness should be in an instant. Trust takes time to rebuild. If you have a friend you shared intimate details with and they gossiped about you, um, you may forgive them but not entrust them with secrets anymore or for a while. Um, a, a classic offense we see a lot um, with people our age, uh, young married couples, is where a spouse does look at like pornography, for example. Um, anytime there's deceit involved, the spouse um, who looked at porn may lose certain freedoms as a consequence. Um, you, you have a different relationship to the internet, to your phone. Uh, if there's been adultery, you, give up, you should be down to give up anything uh, to go, I want to make this right um, uh, if you want to move forward. Um, again, you, you, you accept, hey, I did this, and, 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 and I'm willing to accept the consequences. Um, the other one, and that's not punishing, that's just rebuilding trust. Um, uh, alter behavior, um, saying, hey, I'm actually going, um, will you tell me in the future if I do this? So, so you actually go, hey, I want to change. I'm trying to change. And if I'm unaware, will you actually tell me? I'm inviting you to talk to me sooner so we can avoid having a huge dust up. And you go, hey, you, you know, you did that thing again. And then ask for forgiveness. And again, you have to give them time when you ask for forgiveness. Understand that feelings take time to catch up with the decision to forgive. Just like Jesus forgives us in an instant and it takes us a lifetime to fully experience it. Um, it should take less long than that, but, but we forgive someone, but then it takes time for our feelings to catch up with that forgiveness. And one of the most unloving things we can do, I have a hard time with this with Jackie, is I go, I've apologized. You should be pumped about me. You should be doing cartwheels. Yeah, you're amazing. You apologize. No, if I hurt her, I hurt her. And I don't get to determine how fast it takes for me to feel forgiven by her or be celebrated by her. So after you've gotten real, then and only then, Okay, you've really owned your stuff. Then and only then, gently engage, G3. This is where you ask the question, how can I help someone else own their contribution to the conflict? Matthew 18 says, if someone sins against you, go and privately show them their faults. Um, Some things to do to get ready for sitting down with someone, um, plan what you want to say. I would say for those who are internal processors, bring notes with you. Now, if someone brings notes to the conflict in the future for you, um, it may feel like, whoa, you've got this whole thing. It can actually be really loving, okay? So I want you to give them the benefit of the doubt if that happens. They, wanna, they value enough to want to do the, the conversation really well, and they want to make sure they say the right thing. They want to make sure they're clear and helpful. Does that make sense? Um, so that can be a huge thing. Some internal processors are like, ah, uh, uh, and then you have someone that's like a talker, and, and then actually three days later, you're like, I actually was really hurt. Actually, it was this. It wasn't this. And Does that make sense? So again, if you pray about it, you write it down, it can lead to a more fruitful conversation. Um, when you sit down, um, don't assume you know all that led to the conflict. Okay. Invite dialogue. Hey, can we talk about this? Okay. Um, uh, um, a big thing when you sit down, that's really important is to say, Hey, I want to share something that you, you know, I feel like you've done and here's how it made me feel. Um, don't assume you know their motives. That's infuriating. Um, you did this because of this. It, here's the thing. Sometimes you're right. When you're wrong, if you've ever been accused of something that's not true, it is infuriating, even if it's a small thing. Um, does that make sense? And so you, again, you create a, a stumbling block f- for the conversation to move forward. You can say, hey, it felt like this. It felt like you cared more about what those people thought than about loving me. Or it felt like you bailed early because wh- whatever it is you want to confront them about. Um, um, there's fears they have, concerns, hurts. Um, they may have nothing to do with you. Um, 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 when sitting down with them, a couple quick things, um, be honest. Okay. Again, tell them how you felt. Um, this is hard because you're putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Um, um, I think uh, a friend of mine, he said, it's easy for me to tell someone that they're wrong or that they sinned against me. It's hard for me to say I'm hurt. So I can go, Hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. Bible says this. But he goes, but, but to, to go, hey, I'm, I'm actually hurt by what you did, bro. Like, that actually o- offended me. And, like, you tapped into insecurity I have. Um, that might be hard to do, but you have to be able to do that. Hey, here's how you made me feel. And, again, you need to know that every feeling and emotion um, is valid to feel. We can get into why you're feeling it and all that stuff. Um, but when you feel it, you're feeling it. So you have to go, hey, here's how this made me feel. Uh, it could be ridiculous, but, but it's how I feel. Um, but sometimes to avoid being weak, we get really into being right about a situation. But again, this really hinders what the conflict should be. Another really important thing when you're sitting with someone on the G3 is affirming the relationship. Saying, hey, I love you, and I want to work this thing out. Um, um, again, I would say nine times out of ten, if both people have the Holy Spirit and desire for Jesus to be glorified, by this point you should have reached 
reconciliation. You've gone to God. You've owned your parts. You've gently said, hey, there's this. Um, But every once in a while, the person won't respond well. Jesus does talk in here about this idea of church discipline. Like, where do you go for help when you're stuck? Um, If they still don't listen, um, it says, tell it to the church at the end of it. Um, So so again, he says, talk to them. If they don't listen, go to two or three other um, impartial people, okay? Not like your fan club, people that hate this person that you've been gossiping to, but godly people, maybe a life group leader. Um, And then down the road, um, you know, the elders. And again, one thing you need to know about church discipline is church discipline is never for sin. It's for a lack of repentance. Paul says if, if... if, if, if we're going to avoid the sinners, we'd have to leave this earth, okay? First um, John says, if we claim to have no sin, the truth of God is not in us. Um, it's when someone goes, hey, this is who I am. I'm just going to live in this. Hey, I hurt you. I don't care. Again, that, that means it becomes a toxic, unsafe community when people don't repent, and they can't get better, right? So again, using the hospital analogy, um, if someone goes, hey, um, actually, I'm fine. I'm not sick. I'm fine. Uh, I'm okay. These symptoms of dysfunction, they're fine. We go, actually, we don't have a bed for you. Like, we, we, we can't treat you if, if you're fine. Um, but as long as you're willing to take the treatment of the gospel, um, there's space for you. Um, so again, if you confront them, it doesn't go well. You can get help, um, but really, really careful. Um, and then one last uh, important thing is if someone has something against you, this one's kind of awkward, pursue them. Um, in Matthew 5.23, Jesus talks about if someone has something against you to leave your sacrifice at the altar and go to them at once. I, at times, because uh, I'm a leader, I think it happens more often, but it happens to all of us where you kind of catch wind, someone's saying things about you, or they're bummed out on you. And by the way, this kills me. It makes me, like, I would have been 9,000 times more excited to apologize if they just came to me. When I find out they're telling other people stuff, I'm like, oh, dude, now, now I'm really offended. Um, but it's so important, um, and a good thing in that scenario is to lovingly pray. Start at, do it, start at G1 again, like it's your offense. And then when you go sit with them to say, hey, is there anything I've done to hurt you? I feel like it's... It's, I'm not even sure why. At our church, we talk about um, relational checkups, where you're like, I don't know why, but it feels funky. Like, it feels weird with me and John or Sam or Grant or whatever it is. Um, when we planted our church, Tom Logue, who's been here, is kind of a prophetic voice. Um, he had this prophetic picture. It was like the end of an action movie, you know, like the Dark Knight or something. And there's like a bomb that's set to blow. And at the end of the movie, someone's disarming the bomb. And he said, you know, what's interesting about disarming a bomb is typically they don't do it kind of haphazardly. Like, oh, who knows? I'll pull the yellow, I'll pull the red, let's see what happens. It's usually very intentional because the stakes are so high. And he, and he had this word at the beginning of our church plant. He said, preserving unity is like disarming a bomb. We have to be so intentional and careful. Where if we even kind of feel like an interaction didn't go well, even if we're not sure, we go, hey, I think this might have offended you, maybe not. And again, worst case scenario, they go, oh, no, it's fine. Or they go, actually, I'm so glad you said that because I actually was kind of bummed out. And now you're closer. You see that? And so, again, a lot of us want to look right um, so we don't do that. Um, uh, G4 is the end. It's, it's get together. It's how can I give forgiveness and help breach a reasonable situation. Um, some commitments for forgiveness. Uh, I promise not to dwell on this incident. I promise not to bring this incident up to use it against you. I promise I won't talk to others about this incident. I promise I won't allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our relationship. Again, it's important to distinguish between not holding it against them and the reality of consequences, okay? So this has to do with, like, how you feel about them. This doesn't mean there's no consequences. Again, for instance, if you're dealing with abuse, there can be forgiveness, but that doesn't override the authorities being called. That means I'm not going to treat you poorly and be mean to you uh, because of what you've done. But what you've done may need other people to be involved Um, and so that's how you confront. If you've been confronted, this is the ending idea. Again, um, we're not called to attack or withdraw when we're confronted. We're called to repent. And I know that's a really hard thing, but it's so important. So many of us have walls up that keep us from intimacy with one another because we think we need to, we either grew up in a family where again, you swept stuff under the rug. My wife grew up in a family where her mom was very intense emotionally. It was very unpredictable. It was very dysfunctional. And so when she feels emotion going up or a conflict starting, naturally what she wanted to do was like, it was like a tornado was coming and she needed to get in the cellar and wait for it to die down. And then she'd come out. And that's what they did in her family. Her mom would blow up like a volcano or whatever, uh, like an earthquake, and then a storm, you know. And then the next day, it was as if nothing ever happened. You don't talk about it again. Um, does that make sense? And so when she would feel conflict starting, she'd be like, okay, I need to shut down. Now, for someone who wants to do conflict, that makes me furious. I'm like, we need to talk. No, we're fine. No, we need- you're clearly mad. No. And it just gets more and more intense. And so I've learned I needed to give her time. And she learned she needed to actually have a deadline to talk about it. She's like, can we talk about this later? And later would never come. 
Um, I also needed to not make her talk about it in this moment, selfishly. Um, but for a lot of us, we either feel like we need to advocate or defend ourselves when we're confronted, or we feel like we need to just like hide and withdraw. Um, but again, here's the reality with the gospel. Those things keep us from intimacy with one another. Again, if we defend ourselves or our reputation, if we be our own advocates, if we hide, we're putting a wall around our hearts. We're making ourselves inaccessible to our brothers and sisters. Again, in this church family, any real church family, there's no need to keep our head down and there's no need to defend our reputations because what got you into this family was the cross. And the cross says your reputation is you're so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but you're so loved that he was glad to die for you. And so we can own our sin. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> One of the things that's funny, I don't know if you've noticed this, we get really bent out of shape when people um, assume the worst about us, but we're never offended when they assume the best. Like all of the things they don't know about, the things that you think and do in private and things that you want and desire, things that you say. Um, do, you know what I'm saying? We're not like, how could you think I'm so amazing? But they're like, hey, I feel like you're kind of, you seem kind of proud when you said that. They're like, me proud? How could you assume that? You're like, dude, you're worse. You're guilty of worse stuff. They just don't know about it. So we don't need to be offended because we're all sinners. Again, it'd be so silly if you were in a cancer ward in a hospital. You think I have cancer? I think you have cancer. It's like, dude, we all have cancer. That's the word. Not to make a lot of it, but, but that's, we're in a, a cancer word. We're, we're in a, a sin hospital. And we need our medicine, and the medicine's grace. So we can go, hey, you know what? Um, I think that is real. Um, so our one step, if you're confronted, own your sin. And so how do we do conflict well? Um, how do we grow in this? The only way is through the gospel of Jesus. We need two humble people, a humble person who will willingly confront, and a humble person who will willingly be confronted. And again, when you're confronted, you go, even if they're wrong, you go, thank you so much for looking out for me. Even though that's not true in this case, it definitely has been in the past or it could be in the future. And I appreciate you looking out for me. Um, um, the only thing that's going to create two humble people is the gospel. Jesus, through his gospel, dealt with our greatest conflict. And in doing so, he's made us new people who can do conflict well. Again, think about this for a second. We had conflict with God. We all rejected God. We rejected God as Father by worshiping someone or something else where we found our sense of worth, identity, security, and well-being not in him, but instead in, in people, possessions, or, or the pursuit of uh, you know, prestige. There's a lot of peace here, but, 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 but we looked everywhere other than Jesus. We were idolaters. We were God-rejectors. We mocked God. This is true for so many of us. And then we betray him every day by looking elsewhere for the love that only he can give us, the identity that only he can give us, the security so we make ourselves enemies by rejecting him. But here's what's so beautiful about Jesus. Even though he was the offended party, he took the initiative and moved towards us to restore our relationship with him. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. This is our gospel foundation for conflict. The undeserved gracious pursuit while we were enemies that's our starting place. That's the power to change. So a few implications of this as we close. One is now we can love our enemies because we were once God's enemy and we know what it's like to be freely forgiven and pursued when we don't deserve it. You've been that servant who's embezzled so you can forgive the servant who owes you. It's not that they didn't wrong you. It's not that that guy didn't owe him money. He did. There was an offense, but it's nowhere near the offense I've been forgiven. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been forgiven of more offenses that have been committed against you. We don't take, um, that also means we can take the initiative in resolving conflict because Jesus took the initiative to renew his relationship with us, with you, with me, even though he was the offended party. A lot of times when we're offended, we're like, I'm offended. They should have to come to me. Should have to grovel to me, come into my castle through the moat, through the guards and see if I want to let them into my throne room to apologize. Jesus left the throne room of heaven and he came out for us. It's bleeding heart open on the Christ. I, wanna, I want to initiate this reconciliation. Sometimes people in your life, they're too immature to initiate it. And we need to let mature godly people move towards people who have offended them. They don't write them off or push them away. Also, if we get the gospel, we can admit our faults. Because again, the cross says we're more flawed and guilty than we know. But also says we're more forgiven and loved than we dare dream or imagine. So the cross frees us from trying to cover our faults and allows us to admit to them instead. 
So, so we can't do conflict the way Jesus calls us to without first seeing how he deals with us and our conflict with him. Jesus doesn't withdraw from us. He actually says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't attack us. If he wanted you, atta- if he wanted you dead, you'd be dead. If he wanted you to pay for your sins now, he, he could. No, instead he lovingly moves toward us. He outs our sin lovingly, and then he covers that sin at the cross so we could be reconciled to him. He absorbs the, the offense, the pain. And so again, we just went through G1 through G4, but these tips on this sheet are useless unless we invite the Holy Spirit of God to show us our hearts. And so in closing, I want to, I want to call the worship team up and, and um, just ask you guys three questions as we close. The, the first question is this. What is a conflict in your life that you need to resolve, if there's any? Maybe there isn't one. Ask the Spirit of God to, to search your heart so he can lead you into truth. Number two, where do you need the Spirit to help you see the plank in your own eye, your part in that conflict? What is a conflict in your life that you need to resolve? Um, where do you need the Spirit to help you see the plank in your own eye? And then the last question, how would remembering how Jesus moved towards you honestly and graciously in the gospel empower you to move towards, how would it change the way you should move towards this person?